What are you dealing with right now personally? Mentally? Emotionally? Maybe you're doing fine. Even better than fine. And maybe you think you're doing fine, only, well, you're not sure. Maybe you don't have the right tools to accurately say how you're doing, or to start working towards something better. If that's the case, then this episode is for you. In it, my colleague Sarah Woodworth talks with licensed mental health counselor Mary Tatum about recognizing depression and other mental health disorders in ourselves and taking actions towards self-improvement. Hello everyone, my name is Sarah Woodworth and I'm a People Operations Manager at Modus. I'm here today with Mary Tatum, who is a licensed mental health counselor. So thanks so much for being with us today, Mary. To start off, would you mind telling us a little bit more about your background and the type of work you do as a mental health counselor? Absolutely. I'm very happy to be here also. Um, Like you said, I'm a licensed mental health counselor. I specialize in anxiety and depression. I think like most counselors do, because that's the main problem that people are struggling with right now. Um, I've been in the field of psychology practicing for 15 years. Um, I've been in private practice setting for the last seven years. And then um, historically, I've done social work, worked with addictions, which I I still work in even in a private practice setting. Um, And a lot of what I do now is what I call helping the helpers, which is people in altruistic and um, field and whatnot, uh, helping them avoid caregiver burnout and boundaries and whatnot and understanding different dynamics so people can communicate and not have to take on so much and burn themselves out. Awesome. Great. Well, we're, we're so happy to have you here today. Thank you for being with us. You know, we're, we're here today to talk about mental health in this time of COVID-19 and social distancing. And it's not news to anyone that the past few months have been just challenging across the board. So really curious to hear from you. You know, what are you seeing more of in your practice during this time? And is there anything that's been surprising to you? There's a, a lot of anxiety and depression. Uh, that has, it was a bit manageable before uh, that has really kind of sprung to the surface. And I think the thing that's been the most surprising for me and for everyone else is how tired people are mm-hmm. and the energy that has been required to adjust to all of this. I think um, when this whole thing first started and we were in lockdown and people working from home, I think we we're all really excited that we were going to be super productive. We were not going to be traveling in our cars. We were going to be organizing our closets and, you know, color coordinating everything. And our house was going to be spotless. And we were going to be this super overachieving, productive person because we were at home all the time. And I think people have been so surprised at how much energy um, this has required from the stress, from the adjustments. Um, People are sleeping a lot. They're tired a lot. Um, people have had more disturbing dreams. They've had more vivid dreams. They've even had, um, from what I've heard a little more like paranoid type thinking, there's been a lot of what we call looping where thoughts will get stuck in their head and they can't redirect their brain off of the stressful thought. Um, and I think what people used to be able to manage pretty easily is now more of a struggle and it takes more energy and effort. So I think this is the the first thing we've seen um, where the battleground is in our own heads 
And Mm -hmm. if we want to get better at this, we have to really focus on controlling our own thoughts. The history of our culture has been a little more distracting. Like if I want to feel better, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go to happy hour. I'm going to, you know, put my mind on something else. And this has been surprising where there's nothing else to put our minds on that we're used to. So we have to strengthen our ability to control and manage our thoughts. That's a really good point. So to that end, what are some steps that people can take to really manage their thoughts, control their thoughts and stop some of that unproductive thinking and, and, you know, cope without the ability to have outlets that we normally would? Yes. Uh, the, The first thing to recognize is to have some compassion and understanding for yourself that um, our brain is going to just kind of neurons are going to misfire a little bit. Like this is a challenge. This is not going to come easily. This does take a little work and effort. So it's important for us to, first of all, not be hard on ourselves while we're learning how to do this. Usually there's a gap when we're attempting a new way of thinking between what we logically know we should do and then the emotions being able to catch up to that. So logically, I know I should not be thinking about this thing over and over and over, but like, I should not be worried about this. I should not be so concerned about this, but getting the feeling to actually catch up to that is where the work is. So having some really good self-compassion there, first of all. Um, Second, most of us have the prosecuting attorney built into our head already. Like we're very hard on ourselves. Right. So one of the things I teach people to do is how to become your own defense attorney <laughs> and how to argue with that prosecuting attorney a little bit. If somebody said about your best friend, what you're saying to your own self in your head, you would jump to their defense and you would do it pretty passionately. So how can we become our own defense attorney a little bit and defend ourselves? So that's uh, one kind of coping skill and and trick, so to speak. Um, Another thing is we look at what we cannot control, and then we look at what we can control, and we focus solely on what we can control. And when we start really looking at what we can control, we start finding that there's, there's more things than I thought. And what makes negative experience start to teeter towards the traumatic part is when we feel powerless and helpless. Mm -hmm. So when we start looking at what we can control, we start feeling a bit more powerful, a bit more in control. Like I can do more. I'm not quite as helpless and vulnerable here as I thought I was. Um, So that really helps recognizing those things. Our brain is also wired for fear because fear is a motivator. Fear and anger both are motivators. Like when you feel fear, the kickback is to go do something about it. Positive emotions are not motivators. Like when you feel calm and happy and peaceful, it doesn't really motivate you to do anything other than to stay in that peaceful state and emotion. So this is why our brain is a little more wired uh, for fear and anger and really catastrophizing is because it's a motivator. So that works when we need to run away from something scary. It does not work when there's nowhere to run to. So then we have to um, remind our brain, almost like we're talking to a five-year-old, you're okay, you're not in any danger, this is what we can do, let's work on these things. So the thoughts have to become a little more direct and conscious Mm -hmm. towards the positive, if that makes sense. Yes, definitely, definitely. And 
Are there some specific things that people can do or things they can incorporate into their day to kind of help counter some of these negative feelings and emotions and fear? Yes. First thing to do is to consciously label exactly what you're thinking. We're, every single human is a drama queen in their own head. <laughs> so when we you know, speak it out loud, when we say it, a lot of times that makes it smaller just in itself, rather than just letting the thoughts stay there and kind of loop over and over. So journaling helps a lot, being able to see those thoughts out in front of you. Um, if we have a really trusted friend or family member, being able to call them and say, I'm having these thoughts. I just want to kind of say them out loud. There's nothing I can do about them, but here they are. That helps kind of uh, decrease the severity of the thought. The other thing, um, there, there's four things that have been proven to decrease anxiety the most. And that's nature, focused breathing, exercise, and music. And of course, in a lockdown and state of pandemic, some of those are not some of those are not possible. Uh, focused breathing is one that works very well. Breath work is tied directly to your nervous system. And that's where the fight or flight lives. So when we control our breathing and we have very conscious breathing, it brings down our nervous system and our fight or flight. Um, so when a person is in fear, it's kind of like all the lights in the house are on. Every appliance, everything, every technology thing is just on running at full capacity. And that's where we're starting to get very tired. So breath work helps to bring that down a bit. It's like uh, driving a car as fast and as hard as it'll go on a marathon. It's going to start breaking down. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of really great YouTube videos, a lot of cost-free things on YouTube that can lead you through that. Breathwork is very helpful. Um, there's a lot of things on YouTube with at-home exercises that are very helpful. One way I like to bring in nature is, again, YouTube, where if it's a really horrible day of weather and we can't get outside or it's raining or depressing or whatnot, I'll flip on um, something on YouTube that just shows nature scenes. And I'll watch that. And it's kind of a good substitute until I can get outside again. Yeah, that's that's a really good tip. Awesome. Thank you. So another big part, obviously, of this current time in this pandemic we're living in is social distancing, which, you know, has been necessary in most places for public health reasons. But obviously, being apart from others creates its own set of challenges from a mental health standpoint. And many cases, people are separated from loved ones. They miss their friends. Some people are living alone and experiencing really high levels of loneliness and social isolation. Could you yeah. talk a little more about what we're seeing here as it relates to well-being in this time of social distancing? Yes. Loneliness is, you know, that's not something to be underestimated, the mental and emotional effects of that. Loneliness, loneliness is a serious problem. Um, and if you look at what happens in prisons, when you act out in a prison, they put you in solitary confinement. They put you in isolation as punishment in prison. You have to really watch that, how long you keep somebody in there, because you can start to drive a person insane if left isolated for so long. So this is one of the reasons why we're starting to see mental and emotional health struggles really come to the surface. Um, addictions are picking up suicidal thoughts and whatnot are picking up. And a lot of that is directly related to the loneliness that we're experiencing in quarantine. So um, people start to experience suicidal thoughts when they start to feel trapped or stuck in a current situation and they don't see a way out of it. So 
the body is always conditioned to get itself out of pain. So if it can't find a way out, then it will look to end the pain in any way possible. And that's when those thoughts start to, to pick up a little bit. So uh, the, the way that we really help that is we start to look at, am I really stuck or trapped or are there things here that I'm just not seeing? So some ways out of that, again, is to talk about it. You know, don't let that stuff just stay in your head and go over and over and over. We need to speak about it. We need to talk about it. There are there are a lot of ways to uh, kind of reframe what we're thinking and seeing. Uh, and we need to build the confidence and the faith in our own selves that we can handle any situation that we're in. A lot of anxiety comes from questioning my own abilities to manage and handle this. So we build up our confidence and our ability to handle problems and stress. Um, we connect with people the best way that we can. Um, and then we remind ourselves that this is a phase it will pass. We're not going to be here for forever. We're not going to be stuck here for forever. So what can I do to get myself through this time the, the best way that I can? Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So what exactly is happening like in the body or in the brain when people are experiencing loneliness or when they're missing that social, that social connection? And what is understanding that? How can we then kind of work around it? So when, when the body is stressed or lonely, chemically, it pumps out cortisol, which is the stress hormone. And that's the hormone that causes inflammation, um, you know, lots of reactions in the body that are, are considered harmful. Oxytocin is the chemical that's the antidote to cortisol. And that's the chemical that causes people to crave other people. It's, um, it's released when you hug someone, uh, when you're touching someone else that's a safe person. Um, it's, it's a bonding chemical, basically. Mm -hmm. So the, the stress response to cortisol is the oxytocin. So when we don't have that, the stress stays a little bit heightened. So ways to deal with that, um, again, is to recognize this won't last for forever. We will get through this. We go to our, our stress relievers. But then um, there's a lot of, again, going back to YouTube, there's a lot of yoga that's very mind-body connected. Mm -hmm. So we can kind of um, show some nurturing and care to the physical self through yoga and mindfulness that way. There's also a lot of videos on um, how to do like a self foot massage or self neck massage that can really help a lot of our stress settles in those neck and shoulder areas. So that, that helps. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. Thank you for, for sharing that. And then I guess on the topic of like people feeling, you know, a little socially isolated, not being able to see their friends or see their colleagues. I think there's been a sense that a lot of people may be overcompensating by going and just doing video conference overload on whatever video conference tool they use. I think the Zoom fatigue or Zoom overload has been a term that we've heard a lot about. So can you talk a little bit about, I guess, where this burnout might be coming from for people and why and what is it about virtual hanging hangouts or meetings or what have you that are more exhausting than in-person engagements? Yes. So we are staring at a screen. Um, and traditionally, when you go from meeting to meeting, you move. Uh, the meeting place moves or there's a break. There's something. A lot of times when you go from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting, there's no break and there's no change of location. You're sitting in the same place. So if you imagine yourself sitting in the same chair for, let's say, you know, six or eight hours, uh, 
it's pretty understandable why that would be exhausting. So we're doing the same thing. There's no mind shift. Um, the mind will shift when the body shifts. So if there's a coffee break, if there's a lunch break, if there's even just moving from one room to an, the next, like we used to do in high school, you know, when classes would change or college, when classes were changed, there's a shift and you feel different physically when you've gone from one class to the next. Um, that's not happening here. The other thing that they're currently researching is there's a little delay because it's technology. When you're face-to-face, -face, it's real time. On Zoom, there's a slight delay because it has to travel across networks and whatnot. So our brain actually processes the interactions on Zoom differently than in face-to-face. -face. So it requires a little more energy. Yeah. And that's why when we go from meeting to meeting, we are tired quicker because our brain has to work harder to process the same information as it would in a face-to-face. -face. They're doing a lot of research on that now, but I think it's important to be mindful of that. Just the importance of breaks if you need to get up, walk around, go outside. I know a lot of people will clock out on their lunch break and go for a run or mm -hmm. something in the middle of the day just to move or do a workout online or, or something to do a good mental shift. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, speaking as someone who's on the, you know, the people ops team at a tech company where we do often have a lot of back-to-back -back video meetings, um, maybe it's it's good to be advising the people who own those meetings and managers to be mindful of, of time in between and make sure there are buffers so that their team does have that ability to get up and move around before jumping into the next thing. Another thing that I've I've heard is that people are finding it harder to concentrate in meetings and stay focused when it's a video conference and that, that could very well have something to do with that delay. Do you have any tips for people staying present and not losing focus like while they are engaged in a meeting that they can't get up and leave? If you think about traditional meetings, there's a lot of small talk and interaction that happens kind of maybe mm. before and after. Somebody might crack a joke and it's funny. Somebody might, um, I don't know, there's a little side conversation going on. Something, it's, it's much more interactive. And when you're sitting on a Zoom meeting, it's just that serious topic. So something we can do is maybe um, like, a, I don't want to say like a team building, but uh, I don't know, a motivating quote or a funny joke, or um, I don't know, here's a picture of a puppy I saw in a bow tie, like something that's a little more uplifting yeah. rather than getting to business. Um, there's a lot of research on, you know, what they call water cooler talk, which is just small talk around the office. Mm. and how positive and uplifting for your mood that can be. In a Zoom meeting, that's completely gone. Mm. All of the small talk, even just the simple, like, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in a week kind of questions. All, all of those are kind of gone in Zoom meetings. So uh, I think it's helpful to just take a few minutes and uh, just kind of see how everyone's doing, say something uplifting, um, and making sure that there's no wasted time in a Zoom meeting, talking about things that aren't really productive, like making sure our time is well managed so we can get this meeting kind of yeah. over with. Set the agenda and stick to it. Makes a lot of sense. So switching gears a little bit, this is a, a less fun topic, obviously, but unfortunately, we're in a time right now when a lot of people do have loved ones who are sick or experiencing real challenges related to COVID-19, um, some people who may be losing loved ones, um, and they don't have the ability to support those loved ones or process any losses or grieve in a way they normally would. 
such as with memorial services or time with family or just seeing seeing loved ones. Can you talk a little bit about the experience of grief um, and how it's impacted by the circumstances surrounding COVID-19 right now? Yes, the grief with COVID-19 is, uh, well, it's just heartbreaking. There's kind of no way around that. And, you know, there's really no uh, happy thought or positive coping skill for that either. That's just something you have to get through. I think what makes grieving in the era of COVID-19 even more tragic is the isolation factor. Yeah. Um, look at grieving. Um, a lot of the the purpose of the funerals and wakes and and friends coming around with food and whatnot is so that the person who is grieving doesn't feel like they're grieving alone. Mm-hmm. So loneliness always makes the negative emotion that much hurtful and deeper and pain filled. So again, talking about it, that's you know, if you've got a loved one who's passed away, there's probably some definite need for, for therapy, support groups, something like that. So we're not feeling so alone in it. I think the other part is people often uh, correlate the healing with grief with time, like time mm-hmm. is supposed to make it better. And as time goes on, I'm supposed to be feeling better from this or more in control of this. And I think, again, we get very hard on ourselves when a certain amount of time has passed and we are still struggling. We feel like we should be past this better than what we are. So we start, again, getting really hard on ourselves. So looking at it's okay if some days are better than others and some days we're just not okay and we are struggling. But I think the main thing that's the biggest challenge in an era of grief where we're also isolated is the loneliness that people are experiencing going through this. Um, so we're kind of in a little bit of survival mode of just how do I get past this? And then when I get past this and people are allowed to interact a little bit more, it's important to really get into what that was like for you so that we can resolve it and we don't keep carrying it around. There's an expression, um, time heals all wounds except trauma and time makes trauma worse. So as we go through this, if we keep kind of dismissing or downplaying or minimizing the effects of this, it's going to come back and get you at some point. So we need to really look at what this time frame has cost us and how do we work to resolve that? And usually that's with some professional help. That makes a lot of sense. And that's, that's a really good point. There is that old adage of time heals all, but it sounds like that's it's really not the case in some of these circumstances. You know, I know we we talked a little bit in the beginning of our conversation about people experiencing some real burnout right now and how anxiety and depression may be manifesting in ways that people can't see. I guess just there might be people who don't who aren't fully understanding the impact of what's happening right now on them. So for people who may not recognize or flag something as trauma or who may not recognize or flag something as anxiety or depression, do you have any tips on how someone might be able to kind of dive deep and understand that about themselves? You know, are there different ways that these things manifest that people may not realize? Yes. Well, the definition of a diagnosis for anxiety and depression is when life becomes unmanageable because of that or in some aspect. So a lot of people, they do great at work, but there's a struggle with their home life or relationship life. Um, So that's a way that maybe our anxiety and depression has become unmanageable in some aspect. Mm -hmm. So we we have to look at um, where is my 
willpower or my mind over matter not working. Like no matter what I do, I cannot seem to get a grip on this. Uh, and I'm feeling again, kind of stuck. So anywhere that you feel you're getting stuck, anywhere that you feel like there's a pattern that you cannot break, that you just keep repeating over and over, mm. despite your best intentions, that's a really good sign. Um, heightened depression, uh, a lot of people think it's just sadness and I just feel sad all the time and therefore I'm depressed. But depression is a kind of a big tangled ball of yarn of different emotions. It can be lack of motivation. Um, impulsivity is heightened. Uh, irritation, chronic dissatisfaction, just feeling like you are not your best self and you cannot get there no matter what you do. Um, th those are a lot of signs. Um, the thing with anxiety is usually just preoccupation with things I cannot control, um, feeling very down on myself. Um, and even the, the body will, will pick up on a lot of anxiety symptoms as well. If there's digestive issues, if there's headaches, if there's tension, that's a lot of, uh, signs that we're experiencing some anxiety that maybe we're ignoring or dismissing that we need to pay attention to. That's really helpful. And I, I think that's just good for people to know, to recognize in themselves. And like you said, seek out perhaps, you know, a therapist or a mental health counselor, if, if this is something they think that they're struggling with. You made a good point about how a lot of people are not recognizing the effects of this. We see this a lot in war veterans where they get through war, mm. they survive it. Um, you know, they're expert problem solvers and they get back stateside and they start really struggling with nightmares, flashbacks, PTSD symptoms, and they can't figure out why when they're back in a safer place, then all these symptoms come out. And it's because the body is not going to allow itself to process certain things while it's in survival mode. A lot of times we see the symptoms show up later. So that's something to be mindful of where when this phase of life passes, if we're struggling and we can't figure out why, it could be some, the body is processing a delayed response. That, that's actually really interesting to think about. So if you're, if you're somebody who, who is um, having health issues related to COVID or as a family member who does, or even, you know, those people who are essential workers who are on the front line, if, if you know, if there's anybody in that situation, maybe the doctors or the nurses, or even the stress of going to a grocery store every day and, and knowing that you're exposed, that's something for people to be aware of going forward. So you, you talked about this a little bit before, and I wanted to dive in a little deeper, this notion of people just feeling stuck or trapped right now or, or really helpless in their circumstances. So yes. what can what can we do collectively and as individuals to kind of get through that and and find meaning in the time we're in right now and in this new normal that we're in and you know get through that feeling of being stuck and you know really start to yeah to, to find meaning in it and and be able to move forward. Yes, that, that's a really good question. So feelings are not facts, they're just feelings. So if I feel stuck or trapped, it doesn't mean that I am. Uh, so again, looking at um, if I'm feeling a certain way, is it necessarily true? So this is where the emotional brain and the logic brain kind of need to cooperate a little bit. Um, I might be feeling stuck, but am I really stuck? And this is also where some professional help can be can be useful because a lot of times friends and family members may not know what to say to that. A, a trained professional can challenge that in a way that creates a different way of thinking. So if I feel stuck or trapped sitting in my house, 
am I stuck or trapped in all areas of life? And again, that goes to what can I do versus what I can't do. Um, so I may be stuck or trapped where I can't leave my house right now for things that I'm you know, used to doing, but what can I do? Um, one of the, a positive thing that I've seen a lot from clients is they're, they're talking to family members or friends from college or whatnot. They're talking about deeper things than they used to. So where it used to be, how's your week? Fine. What are you doing? This and this and that. It almost used to be surface level day-to-day conversation. Now people are talking about, hey, remember when we went on this trip or did this thing? And they're going back and kind of reminiscing and reliving very positive, bonding, happy experiences. So while we may be physically stuck in our in our homes and in our places right now, our relationships can grow and deepen. Uh, and bond in ways that we could not before. It also may be that if we can't move in physical ways, um, we might be able to grow in emotional and mental ways. So looking at, I'm feeling stuck or trapped, but is that true in all areas of my life? And where, like, what are the things again that I can control and move forward in? That's a, that's a really nice way to think about it. And there you know, there are silver linings here or opportunities here for us to grow and build resilience and build relationships that, that we may not have had otherwise. That's really great. Is there anything that I haven't asked about yet or that we haven't discussed that you'd, you'd want to share with somebody who may be having a harder time right now? Any advice or anything um, that they should be mindful of in the, the coming weeks and months? Yeah, I think the main thing that that I'm really talking to people about is we we've gotten on the stucker trap thing quite a bit, and that's really the the theme of this whole thing is this is a phase. This will not last for forever. And I love that you used the word resilience a few minutes ago because, um, you know, we're very hard on ourselves for thinking what we should be doing, and then for what mm. we're actually doing. Sometimes when they don't match, we get really down on ourselves. So there, you know, there's a lot of discussions about um, the quarantine weight gain. I have all this time, like I should be working out more. Um, we've seen uh, there's a report that came out about how much more junk food people are buying because it's comforting. Yeah, like no, nobody wants to be on a strict diet right now. We're looking for comfort in any way that we can get it, uh, and in some ways, you know, that's really okay. So just looking at we are all doing the best that we can do. Mm-hmm. This will pass. We'll get back to our ideal selves, you know, when this, when this passes. And I think also understanding that because we're all struggling, um, other people are also struggling. So not taking things personal. If there's yeah. um, someone at work who's a little more snippy, if there's a family member who's a little more snippy, not taking those things personal. Yeah. Um, and just giving people a lot of grace and understanding that this is rough, but this will pass. We will get through this. And then whatever dysfunctions or struggles that we have at the end of this, we'll figure that out and we'll, we'll work that out as well. Yeah. So key there being compassion for ourselves and compassion for others, right? Just assume yes. positive intent and be gentle with each other and ourselves. <laughs> And I will say uh, one last thing that really helps, and this is coming out of the science of positive psychology, which is a huge movement right now that I'm a big fan of, but where the brain is wired to fear and worry, um, we have to remind it of what is actually 
there are some things that are going well. So uh, if you keep a little notepad or journal or even just um, list of thoughts in your head, they did a bunch of studies where when people listed three things that they did well that day or three things that went well that day, they had better sleep, they felt better when they woke up the next morning, um, and they had less procrastination, less dread when they started the day uh, because they ended the previous night on a positive note and giving mm. themselves credit for what went well. well. That's that's nice. I like that idea. We'll all work that into our rituals, a little gratitude journal or um, something of that sort. That's a good tip. Thank you. So all in all, Mary, this has been really illuminating and there are a lot of great takeaways here from this conversation. Um, if people were interested in speaking with you about their personal situations or speaking with you one-on-one, What's the best way for them to go about doing that and getting into contact with you? Email. You can find me through email, my website, and then I'm on, I have a business page on Facebook, a uh, business page on Instagram as well. And then on my website, which is tranquilsoulcounseling.com, uh, there's all the contact info there from business phone to email and, and that sort of thing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was really great. And again, so appreciate you being here today with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And that concludes our latest episode of Modus Presents Mental Health While Remote. Thanks again to our guest, Mary Tatum, for sharing insights on the show. And to those of you listening, thanks for tuning in. Liked what you listened to? Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, we're going to get through this. And we're going to get through it together. Together.